Welcome to season four of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Hey, Joel. Good afternoon, my friend. Howdy, Rabbi Eric. How are you, buddy? I am just very thankful that your religious tradition places a large premium on forgiveness. Because, (laughs) as you know, I deleted my audio. We we recorded a, a, a episode last week. We both thought it was good. I thought I saved it to my computer. I did not. And of course, this is from the guy that has a ton of backups, cloud backups, local backups. But when you delete a file prior to it being able to be backed up, it is gone. Mm. And I apologize. So we're doing take two today. Take one for all of our listeners. Take two for us. (laughs) Yeah, it was just a warm up. That was a dress rehearsal is is now how we think of it. Well, you are very, very kind, my friend. Yay. And we've already introed this season, what it's going to be like. Today's theme is uh, kind of definition of words. So uh, we're going to work on some biggies, uh, that, and they mostly center around Rabbi Eric's world. So he's going to be helping us make sure we know what these risky, tricky words are that... Um, Unfortunately, Christians tend to throw around and use willy-nilly without really understanding their history and their meaning uh, very carefully. Uh, And spoiler alert, uh, next week it's you. So the focus (laughs) might be on Judaism today, but that is not to say that uh, Christianity is getting short thrift or anything like that. Nice, yeah. We'll turn the tables in the future. There we go. There we go. Just as you turned the other cheek today. Okay, that, <laughs> my bad references are done now. I'm I done. got you. They're good. They're good. They're working out fine. The, uh, here's the four words that I think we've got to straighten out between you, me, and the rest of the planet, if we could arrange it, is uh, Israel... Jew slash Jewish, um, Semite, and Hebrew. We've got a lot of <laughs> a lot of topics to cover in those four terms. And I know in my tradition, I hear Christians use Israel, and I flinch when I hear them say it because I don't know what they mean. If I hear them say the word Jew, I really flinch. I'm like, uh-oh, a Christian is using that word, and it makes me very nervous. I have to figure out what they mean and why they're saying it and what in the world they were thinking to type it into an email. Um, so we've got some heavy <laughs> lifting today to, to, to cover this, and I, I wonder if we can just start with Israel. If I say that, Israel, what is that to you, Rabbi Eric? Who, you always got to ask like the, the hard questions. Okay, so let me – can I back up for just a second, Joel? And just like the reason I think that this episode is important for us is not because we want to delve deep into kind of sem- semantics and etymology of, of words, but that these words are loaded mm-hmm. and and they cause – 
pain, they cause confusion. What they mean to one person is not the same as the next. It, by the way, in the same tradition, as I'll talk about in a second, too. And so I, I think especially when someone is um, – what I'll quote unquote, an outsider speaking about these terms, you got to be careful. And I, I think one of the things I mentioned on last week's podcast that, that I'll repeat now, and I won't keep saying that when I do repeat something <laughs> that gets annoying real fast um, is, you know, the, the, I know, you know, this Joel, but Dave Chappelle several months ago had a now infamous routine on Saturday night live, which some people perceived as anti-Semitic and stoking the flames. And I'm not going to get into that right now. There, I do have a lot to say because of course I do. But what I will say is he was right on when he started his monologue by saying, there are two words that will get anybody in trouble if they say them, anybody at all, doesn't matter what follows after those two words. But if you say the two words, the Jews, you're in trouble. And, 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 you know, there's a sense of humor. There's a humor there for a lot of reasons. But I, I think, you know, Whoopi Goldberg has done this too, where it's like, oh, this is Judaism and this is what, what the race of Judaism is or isn't. And I just think, like, unless you're a part of that religious or cultural tradition, it's just pretty good. It's a pretty good rule of thumb just not to speak for it. <laughs> You know, like, I'm not going to speak for Christianity. I'm not going to speak for what it feels like to be a woman or a gay person. I, I, I want to empathize and I want to understand, but I'm not going to make generalizations. It's just not good. And so that for me, Joel, and, I, you know, you're the person that picked – that helped kind of frame this season. But for me, that's what I find important about this episode. I don't, do, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't mean to kind of ramble. I think that's it. I think you and I are trying to set the precedent where since I am semi-knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than many with a master's degree in divinity and a, you know, a, an advanced degree around these scriptures, I still have to be careful because this is not my faith community. Uh, and and I see people being so uncareful. So you and I are, I think, embodying what we want the rest of the world to do. Be careful, ask questions, trust the real pro, the insider, when you use these terms. And that's why I am going to defer to you. I'm going to toss in my own impression and knowledge of these terms as well. But that is for you to help me decide if I am using them in a wise way as being someone who doesn't practice the Jewish faith or um, isn't uh, perceived as a citizen of the nation state of Israel or et cetera. So we've got some room there to model what we wish the rest of the world would do when they use these loaded terms, often against other people. Yes, yes, that, that, that good added point. Okay, so all that being said, wh which word did you ask me to do first? <laughs> Israel, let's start there. In the scriptures, that is the oldest of these terms probably. So what, sure. what, is, what is meant when, uh, when we hear that word Israel? What are the different meanings and which ones do you resonate with and flinch <laughs> when you hear? Well, it, it is tricky. And, it, and you know, I, I understand the confusion because first of all, um, in 
it is a place, the country Israel, a geographical location that exists and has a government. Well, some of the time it has a government um, and is a country. Then we have, you know, in Hebrew, we talk about Jews as being Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. And that is not meant as the people of the country Israel. That's meant as when Jacob in the book of Genesis wrestles with a man, with an angel, again, another topic, um, after this wrestling, which happens as Jacob's about to reunite with his brother Esau after over 20 years, it's a, it's a real um, watershed moment in his life. Uh, after that wrestling, God says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Yisrael, because you have struggled with beings divine and lived. And the etymology of the Hebrew word Yisrael literally means struggle or wrestles with God. And so we, as a religion, are descended from Jacob, and so we are the people of Israel. And even though the country of Israel is considered our homeland, when we say Am Yisrael, it has nothing to do with the country of Israel, even though there is a residence there, because again, Israel is the Jewish people's homeland. So that's one thing. Um, it, another thing that adds to the confusion is the fact that the word Yisrael or the, or the term of our, the people of Israelites does not happen till later in the Torah. Uh, we, we, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, my brain is going faster than my tongue. Abraham is not told that he's going to Israel. He's told that he's going to a place that God will show him. And, uh, he's not called an Israelite. Moses isn't called an Israelite. And so these terms came later to help uh, I don't want to say define who we are, but certainly kind of separate us. And, we, you know, that we all use terms to separate us from something else, whether it's, you know, an interest group or, or a hobby. I mean, that, that those sorts of definitions kind of help find the uniqueness of who we are and what we do. Um, taking it a little bit of a step further with the country of Israel, you know, Oh, there's, and I, I've talked about a lot on in conversation with you, Joel, about kind of the litmus test for some people about whether you're pro-Israel or not pro-Israel. And um, again, you, you know, the, the way that words have power and have kind of a political valence to them is something we need to be really careful of. And that's true in all aspects of life, not just religion, but certainly uh, re religion, I would say, especially. Nice. Uh, yeah, when I, my first impression when I hear the word Israel is the person, Jacob, who wrestled with God. And and he earns that name or is imposed, that name is imposed on him because of that struggle. And it's his it's that moment where he finds himself after, in a way, running from God and severing relationships and living life where he accumulates things uh, conveniently and quickly, even if it costs him his family or some other folks. And now he's a middle to end of life, and he's reconciling and reuniting, and he's scared to death. He, he's really afraid of his brother, what his brother might do. Will his brother kill him when, when they reunite? And, and in that fear, he wrestles with God 
and is given a new identity. Um, and, and somehow I now attribute the one who wrestles with God is the one who will overcome the fear to reunite, uh, right? And it's our, that don't be afraid, reunite, make peace. That seems to be the guiding force under that identity that he's given as Israel. And then you called out several of the other meanings that I think of, not just the person Israel, but the current nation state, this other philosophical, theological people that carry that name, as well as their imagined future homeland, Israel, which is different than the current political-bordered nation-state. There is a a scriptural, theological vision of a place, Israel, that worships God and takes care of each other and welcomes the stranger and loves the widows and the orphans. And that imagined Israel is different than the current nation-state Israel. And, And we need to make sure we carry that difference. And then there's this other weird one that a lot of people forget. Israel, when when the people of God under David and Solomon um, eventually split in half like a civil war against one another and betrayed one another into the northern and southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of God's country was Israel. The southern kingdom was a different, had a different name, really Judah. Um, And so they were enemies of one another after the split. And that northern kingdom kept Israel, but didn't keep Jerusalem. It had a different capital, Samaria. And the southern kingdom, Judah, had its capital, Jerusalem. And and so the, the descendants of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, 12 tribes, there were 11 territorial tribes, sons that became territorial tribes, and one that was a priestly um, tribe. And I think nine of those territories became the northern kingdom of Israel, and only two of those became the southern kingdom with Judah. So there's this other weird historical understanding of that term Israel. They were the, to a, um, a Judean, Israel were the northern traders. And it is weird to think in our in our scriptural history that the Judeans thought of Israelites as the traitors and Israelites thought of the Judeans as the traitors that's in our history yeah and and something else and um this might be implicit in what you said but just to make it clear is that the you know Jacob had 12 sons and each of those sons is is the names of those sons are considered a tribe of Israel. Um, and so uh, Judah, from where the word Jew comes from, is a tribe slash son of Jacob, who, of course, became Israel. So it's all kind of interconnected in, in that way. Yay. Okay, this other strange word that let, let's dig into that word Jew slash Jewish slash Judah for a minute. I tend to think of that as starting with the son of Israel that was Judah had a eventually they ascribed a region or territory or tribe to that son, and that was um, and if you were a 
citizen of that tribe or that territory. You were a Judean, which got quickly uh, Greekified and now Englishified into this term Jew or Jewish. It, am I in the ballpark on that? Uh, say it a little bit differently, if you can. Okay. Uh, Israel had a son, Judah. They, at some point, a certain territory was named for that son, Judah. And if you were a citizen of that territory, Judah, then you were considered a Judean, or once it got Greekified, English, Englishified, shortened, a Jew. Is that the history of that term, Jew-Jewish? I, yeah, I believe, I believe that that's correct. Wow. Uh, so... But that's not what it means today. You could be no, a descendant of Gad or one of the other children of Israel. That's right. And and the other thing is, you know, denominational differences come into play here a little bit because um, most reform congregations do not um, make distinctions based on the tribe that someone's from. Whereas, you know, in traditional Judaism, the law is that when the Torah is being read, someone who comes from a Kohen gets the first kind of crack at, it's called an aliyah, it's an honor. Uh, there's a prayer before you read from the Torah and a prayer after you read from the Torah. And the uh, someone who is a Kohen is supposed to be offered that first. And if there's no Kohens present, then you offer it to a Levi, Levi. And then after Levi, then you could offer it to anyone who's Jewish. In in most Reformed congregations, that it, if you're Jewish, you're you're allowed to do an Aliyah, and there's not kind of a hierarchy to it. Wow. So it's Kohen isn't a tribe. It's um. What? What is that word? Well, it's the. It's really. Uh, it, it's. Uh, it, it. It's the priestly caste. It's the. It's the head of the Levites. Ah, got it. Okay, it's the highest of the Levites. Then the, to any right, Levite, who, and the and the high priest in you know for those who might know Leviticus really well, in which case you know <laughs> hold a drink while you're reading it. Um, Aaron is the first high priest. Moses's brother. Yay. And Melchizedek is uh, in that space, right? And and in some strange way, Christians grab Jesus as the great and last high priest. Um, we have language about that in some of our later letters, interpretive language. Not We didn't think of him actually as a priest. We just thought of his presiding at his own sacrifice as the final priestly action to, required. Right. Oh wow! So okay, now we've got we've got Israel. I'm on the not table. saying. By the way, I'm not saying right. I'm saying it makes sense that Christians believe that. <laughs> right. Jesus was a priest. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we certainly believe Jesus was a rabbi. You know, the word priest is also a loaded term because it's it mean it's again something that means something in modernity that is different than ancient times. You know, I, I think that is for a little more like uh, that's more of an academic conversation. But I think again, this is important because it has real repercussions in modern conversation of words kind of that people use all the time. Yeah. So we, we still got a couple more Hebrew and Semite. Let's start with um, which one, you, which one you want to go to next of those two? 
Well, Hebrew, you know, is, is the language of Israel. And it's, you know, again, like as Israel is a homeland, Hebrew is considered a, a Lashon HaKodesh, a holy tongue, literally. And um, sometimes Jews are referred to by Hebrews, certainly in the Bible. That's not really a way. I know I'm talking to an ev- evangelical if they refer to Jews as Hebrews, right? Like, like that's not... That's not something people really use in modern parlance anymore. Um, you know, Semite is interesting because, of course, you know, lots of people know the word from anti-Semite, which is, you know, someone who hates Jews or perpetrates hatred toward Jews. And, you know, technically speaking, a Semite um, is a Jew or an Arab. Um, but but the word Semite itself comes from, um, again, talking about sons and names of sons, comes from the name Shem, which is the oldest of the three sons of Noah, um, go, again, going back um, to Genesis. And so all the descendants of Shem are Semites. Now, those, uh, as our tradition believes, are both Jews and non-Jews, but somewhere uh Semite became used for Jews, especially with regard to kind of anti-Semitism. Um, and I think it's just a little bit of a shorthand. Um, I mean, there certainly is, unfortunately, um, you know, anti-Muslim belief and behavior as there is anti-Semitism. I'm not comparing, I'm just talking about the terms. I'm not like comparing the realities of either of them. They both are realities. Um, but anti-Semitic in modern parlance, is used to denote kind of a hatred or a prejudice against Jews. Yeah, and that's that's kind of a tricky one. That that word Semite or Semitic typically refers to a big region and languages spoken all across that region, including Arabic or what used to be Aramaic beside the Hebrew. So in that space, to be anti-Semitic is to be against or prejudiced against anyone who speaks one of those Middle Eastern languages, uh, original languages, which means if you're Let's say you're a Christian who's pro-Israel but anti-Muslim, then you're being anti-Semitic in an interesting kind of way. But as you say, we basically shorthanded that term anti-Semitic now where it doesn't apply to all of those Semitic languages and descendants of Shem. It applies specifically to only the Jewish descendants of Shem, the Hebrew speakers of, uh, or the Israelites. And that's it, it's an interesting um, history to see how that term, anti-Semite or anti-Semitic, got uh, truncated to only mean Israel, not Arab. Uh, and yeah. I'm I've been confused by that and wondered why it stuck, but my guess is prejudice in some way um, had it shorthanded. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, that makes sense, right? Um, But that, you know, that would be, at least from my perspective, a question for a historian or, well, it's not really a biblical scholar, but kind of a, yeah, a historian. So there's Christian traps all over these four words. And I find Christians to be uh, insensitive, uh, sometimes just careless, and other times intentionally cooperative with the danger mm. of these terms. Uh, they intentionally think, cooperative. I'm I'm using that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they figure out that the term, the loaded term, 
means something that they want it to mean. And then they amplify its usage in that loaded way so that its historical, socio, um, cult, scriptural usage is gone. And, and they get to master the, the language and, and own the language so that it does what they want it to do instead of being a true survivor, uh, follower, a studier of the scriptures. And it's always tricky to me. It's, it's typically the Christians who, who want us to read the Bible most literally who misuse these terms the most. And it's so frustrating to me. Um, for Israel, for example, um, there's too many Christians that conflate God's uh, precious love of the people of God, Israel, with the current nation state, Israel. They instantly assume those two are one and the same. Um, and, and that's not what God was doing. Uh, let's just be really clear. Um, the other thing that those same Christians don't do is the prophets are radically voicing God's displeasure with the people Israel and how they mismanage God's resources, how they mistreat their neighbors, how they did not take care of the poor and the the guest and the, the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. And it's the prophet's accountability to the leaders of Israel, the bad kings and leaders of Israel, and the people of Israel for letting their kings do it that makes the nation-state Israel fall in scriptures. But you don't hear evangelical Christians often enough quote, the prophet's words of God holding Israel accountable. You only hear evangelical yeah. Christians uh, praising God's uh, love for Israel. And and if it was both, I'd, I could do that with my brothers and sister Christians, but it's seldom the accountability of, to, of Israel as well as the promise through Israel. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad you said that, and it reminds me actually in in um, in Jewish mysticism. Uh, there's this idea that, uh, and I'm trying to think as I talk to make this kind of make sense and be as clear as possible. That th- there's these diagrams of. W- different qualities that God possesses. And a few of them are in, not in opposition to one another, but intention to one another. So for example, love and mercy, or sorry, uh, mercy and love on one hand and justice on the other hand. I mean, as a parent, you know that those are in balance and one without, or as a teacher or anything, right? Like one without the other is really bad or possibly even dangerous. And so similarly, you know, th- that's what I thought of when you're talking about God's love of Israel. It, it is a love, but it's not a, um, a anything goes love. As a matter of fact, it's a covenantal love and a covenant by definition implies a certain responsibility on both ends. Oh, that's good. I had a podcast on this morning, and it was your first day of um, Black History Month, so it was quoting uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and it was talking about um, whatever the power of God is, um, it, it said that power – Dr. King said, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. So power mm, at its that's best exactly – it. 
Yeah, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Love that quote. I was really grateful to have it in that space. When when a Christian evangelical often uses the term Israel, it's a sentimental term. And it's a self-serving term. Uh, Christians often think of Israel as the necessary gate through which uh, Jesus's ultimate reign slash kingdom of heaven returns. And there is some language to that in, in all the scriptures, both Hebrew scriptures as well as Greek New Testament. Something about what God is doing will be fulfilled in the people of God in a particular space. Uh, often Jerusalem is mentioned in, in that uh, imagination or Zion, the mount uh, at Jerusalem. And, and those imaginations all have to do with God's reign coming in its fullness. So Israel and Judah and Semitic peoples and the Hebrew, it's all wrapped up in there. But in that big vision of whatever that is, God's kingdom coming again, God reminds always that it will be a place of justice. It will be a place of mercy. It will be a place of compassion where the prisoners are set free and the hungry are fed and the naked are clothed, where everyone has enough, where no one has too much, and where all the tongues of the world will come together in praise of this God. So it's it's something interesting to me when when Christians forget the bigger picture behind these these terms in their own scripture and just shortcut them or shorthand them to mean something that is almost exclusive or even oppressive when the terms don't mean that at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, I mean, Christians are not the only ones guilty of this by no means, but I I, I think as human beings and as religionists, I mean, you talk about kind of people finding the meaning where they want. I mean, that's like, that's a lot of theology right there, isn't it? Yes. So would you say inside your faith that there are faithful who um, totally conflate the scriptural theological people Israel with the nation state turf Israel? I don't I don't think so. But what I do think is that people have a hard time um, separating um kind of what happens in the country of Israel from, you know, how are we supposed to feel about Israel as Jews, right? So, for example, if Israel was a country that we had no feelings toward, not no feelings toward, but, you know, a country like like the way I feel about France, right? Like I've never been there. I want, I'd love to visit. I was supposed to during the pandemic, but like, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't have like a pull in terms of religion or heredity, uh, you know, my genetics, my family history toward France, but I, I respect and like the country. If Israel was like that, it would be a different discourse by Jews about the politics there. But it's very tricky because it is our homeland. And I think that's where we as Jews and me included sometimes get um, tripped up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that's not so much about the words, I I would say. Yeah, I kind of think of it as like, you know, you're allowed to pick on your little brother or your big brother or, you know, somebody in your own family. (laughs) But if somebody outside your family starts picking on them, you just defend them no matter what. Uh, I I feel like I bump into, uh, you know, Jewish friends 
who they are very critical of the nation state Israel. And they are also very skeptical if a Christian pastor or evangelical starts picking on Israel or talking about Israel. Or like my denomination has some very sharp critique of the nation state Israel because of its mistreatment of Palestinians and its continued use of American technology and weaponry to do great harm. But at the same time, my denomination is very cozy with uh, people of the Jewish faith, and, and they are our brothers and sisters, and we are, gosh, just so freakishly wide open to interfaith dialogue and, and relationship like that, but we get in trouble because of that. Um, because our sure. Jew, our Jewish brothers and sisters hear us picking on Israel, and that, <laughs> that they tell us, "Hey, that's not your place. Let us pick on the nation state Israel. You can't do it. You'll be an anti-Semite if you do that." <laughs> and then we're like, "No, we won't. We're not picking on the people Israel. We're picking on the nation state." And then we're reminded, but most people don't know the difference. So you and- can't do that. And to make things even more complicated, I said to have a drink in your hand, is, you know, uh, there is a element of critiquing Israel that is a dog whistle. Ugh, that's the word I was looking for last time that I couldn't find. Dog whistle. <laughs> Do you remember? It was yes. killing me. Yes. Oh, Tweet. oh, I'm so glad I lost the podcast so that we could do this. There's a certain kind of critique of Israel that is a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. One of the things that really upsets me is for uh, for Jews, it is very easy to call a critique of Israel anti-Semitism. And it very often is not, but that does not mean it never isn't. And I will also say those who are anti-Semitic will will hide their comments by saying, I'm not talking about the Jews, I'm talking about Israel. And so incredibly difficult to discern. I mean, and there's no easy answers. It's not like there's a formula where I could say, okay, read this book and you'll know what's anti-Semitic and you know what's, you know, genuine, uh, uh, good-natured critique with integrity. Um, like these are these are hard, hard things. Yes, I love it. And that's where like white nationalists who often consider themselves Christians will dog whistle in such a way that is really anti-Jew, anti-Semitic. You you can tell they are either being not so dog whistly, they are whistling out loud, human whistling right. like or, or dog whistling either way. And you, you hear it and feel it in their language. You're like, uh-oh, here we go. They're walking, you know, with tiki torches saying the Jews will not replace us. And you're like, wow. Oh, no. And a lot of their language, they have crosses on their chest or on their flags. Then there's this other weird side of Christianity that dog whistles um, pro-Israel. Yes. And, and it's like the the opposite, but equally dangerous. Like, no matter what Israel does, we have to stand with them against our Palestinian brothers and sisters, even if they're bombing people, even if they're killing kids, even if they're whatever, we have to support them no matter what they do. And and they dog whistle as a Christian, it's your responsibility to be pro-nation state Israel, regardless of their policies or actions. And And I find it so strange that 
Christians somehow can dog whistle anti-Semitism and can dog whistle pro-nation state Israel in ways that don't represent scripture at all. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that's right. And and I think again, it's something we all need to kind of watch out for. Well, do you feel sufficiently picked on yet? <laughs> yeah. No, in, in a good way, of course. Uh, thanks for guiding us through this minefield of loaded terms uh, to our, uh, my Christian brothers and sisters out there. Wow. Uh, if you sense a news commentator or politician or even preacher using these terms, Israel, Hebrew, um, Judean or Jew or Semite, um, anti-Semite, um, pause, take four deep breaths, um, ask for more clarity, what is meant, what isn't meant in there, and if you sense that, oh no, we're going down that path, um, you know, pull the reins on that and, and don't let that leader get away with misusing those terms in a way that conflate the the current nation state or politics or whatever from the big picture. All of those terms are beautiful big picture terms of God for how the people of God should and will live together one day. And we're not there yet. Um, and hold those who use those terms today accountable to the grand vision that God and God's prophets imagine when they use those terms. Well said. And and just to to bring it to to next week, assuming I export the audio successfully, is <laughs> uh, you know living living together as Jews and non-Jews. Some may say goyim. Um, or <laughs> Gentile, right, or Greek. Or Gentile, right. Right. Um, which later became wonderful. this weird term, Christian, right? It, it's not an original term. It's not a biblical term, but that's what we return our attention to next time. Wonderful. You are the man, Ata Aish. Ah, uh, Gamata, Yadid. You too, <laughs> my friend. Um, yeah, this was good, and we'll see you all next week. Keep it real. Uh, bye, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.